what we've noticed is that bees really like to keep these really specific conditions within their hives. And when we talk about conditions, we're talking about things like the temperature in the hive, the weight of the hive, pressure, air quality. And when these conditions get out of whack, it's an early indicator for some potentially serious problems happening within this little ecosystem that is the hive. We wanted to take advantage of these sensors and give beekeepers an early indicator. Something's out of whack in the hive and we're taking advantage of something called the Helium Network, which is a long range protocol for wireless networking and using some deep learning to do some cool stuff with the acoustic signals that are actually coming out of the hive. Welcome to MakeCast, I'm Dale Doherty. MakeCast is brought to you by the members of Make Community. To learn more about Make Community, check out make.co. In volume 75 of Make Magazine, the developers of the Long Hive Project tell us about their efforts to use machine learning to monitor the health of a beehive. The developers are Evan Dewald, Nathan Perala, and Antonio Scala. Evan is a PhD student at Carnegie Mellon. Antonio is majoring in computer science and math at Villanova. Nathan is the non-technical outlier, a finance major at University of Pittsburgh. But he had worked with beekeepers and saw the problem of monitoring the health of the hive. Apparently, you can learn a lot about the health of a hive by listening to the sounds bees make, as a beekeeper would do. But the Long Hive Project automates monitoring a hive and it was developed as an entry into the Hackster IoT for Good competition. Longhive won first prize. Nathan, how did you get involved in this? I've known Evan and Tony for a long time, and we we brought our ideas together, working to come up with an idea for the IoT for Good contest put on by Helium and Hackster. I worked with a beekeeper over one summer, and we thought this would be a, a great opportunity to provide a solution that would work well with the Helium Network. Antonio, so you were all friends, you knew each other, you came to side, but did you have any previous experience working with bees or hives? No, not necessarily with bees or hives, but definitely on the technical side is where I came into play right. a little bit more than the environmental side. So putting the <laughs> sensors in is probably fairly common, at least the temperature sensors, humidity sensors. Real unique thing was the idea of listening to the hive, of recording audio, and then matching it to other samples. Is that right? Yeah, I would say that there are definitely competitors in this space. So there's a really cool company called OSB Hives that kind of sells a nice little module that you can plug into your hive and has a solar panel so that you can run it for a long period of time. Definitely the audio is a really promising sensor stream, especially when it comes to bees. It turns out that you can tell a lot just by how they sound. And then also the long range aspect and low power aspect. So a lot of these competitors in terms of beehive sensing are using Bluetooth or Wi-Fi for connectivity, which kind of limits you to exactly how far can your Wi-Fi reach? Explain that. The protocol is called LoRaWAN sub-gigahertz spectrum. So in the U.S., it's 915 megahertz. And this is not a replacement by any means for Wi-Fi or 5G or 4G. That's really meant for low-power, low-data rate devices. One of the challenges with this project was how can we 
distill a large amount of data, like what's contained in um, an audio file and make that into something that can be transmitted over this spectrum, which is on the scale of just a few bytes uh, at a time. So I would think for like low amounts of data would be just sending a state of a signal, but audio is different, isn't it? You think about audio signals that are typically capturing, I think in our case at 44 kilohertz. So 44,000 samples a second, there's no way we could try to transmit that over LoRa. And this is where edge computing really comes into play as the enabling factor for all this. So explain that. This is the idea of moving computing out to the edge or doing computing there, and then it's connected into something in the center, a network or server. Is that basically it? Yeah, absolutely. You think about big data and machine learning. We're thinking about big computing clusters for training data. That's not really feasible in applications where you really have to move that computation to the edge, and that brings its own challenge. So out in the field somewhere, there's a hive, and in a bottom box of that hive, you're putting your gear. Yeah. So we have the Raspberry Pi set up with the pre-trained neural network, and that's what's actually taking care of the processing. And then it's sending the state over the Helium network so that it, like Evan was saying, it distills that all that data down into a state of queen or no queen. Is that what you're listening for? Yeah, that's the main thing because... When a hive has a queen, it's a lot quieter and because it's a lot calmer. But when it doesn't have a queen, the bees are a little bit more aggravated. And, and you can tell just by listening. It, yeah. Just from a beekeeper's perspective, how do they know without instrumentation whether they have a queen or not? The pheromones of the queen. If the queen is missing or dies, then the, her pheromones are no longer there. But could a beekeeper visually determine that? Not visually, but through audio, just listening uh, to what the bees sound like. And you can, after a while, the, the, there are different signs. The bees will, will try to raise a new queen, and they'll do that with what's called swarm cells. And those will be little offshoots of cells that, of the hive that come out of the honeycomb structure. And they're a little bit bigger than the usual uh, cells. So you, you can tell down the road, but listening to it is where we got the main idea for that, for those audio recordings. And then the artificial intelligence. There's a database of hive recordings, right? Yeah, we see queen and no queen as the beginning of this. But when you look in the literature, what we found was an open source data set where they asked beekeepers to collect signals and label them whether or not they had a queen. And so that made sense for our initial starting point. But where we see this growing is other different more complicated hive outcomes, what's called colony collapse disorder, which not a lot of people understand what's going on with this phenomenon. And it's really detrimental to pollinators. Yeah, I actually thought that might be what you're trying to detect because for beekeepers, it's a mystery. It certainly is. With the other sensors and with the queen indication, that is one of the main things that you can pull from that data and a beekeeper would be on the lookout for is that condition. So again, going back to the queen, though, when we have a swarm, we have the queen leaving the hive. And so would this be a case where the queen left the hive and the remaining bees are not doing very well? Yeah, that's definitely uh, one thing you can tell with the uh, sound is whether the queen is left for the swarm. But that is also shown in the weight. So you'll see that with the uh, weight sensors on the bottom of the hive that basically the 
weight of the hive will almost get split in half uh, really? just because half the bees will leave with that queen and obviously the honey and the weight of the hive will still be there but yeah proportionally if you're having to program a raspberry pi to do machine learning obviously with a raspberry pi i don't have the same amount of computing resources as i have on my desktop computer so what we're using is something called tensorflow which tensorflow is one of the most popular platforms for deep learning, machine learning, but TensorFlow Lite is you can take a pre-trained model that you trained in the full version of TensorFlow. Just to be clear, in your case, training it would be audio files to recognize those conditions. So I actually have the audio if you want to listen to. I'd love to. Okay. So first, this is a hive with a queen. get a sense of the pitch i hope that's coming through okay and then when we switch to a no queen you see a pretty clear change in the pitch or the frequency queen i'll play them back in shorter segments queen then no queen that motivates how we pre-process our data and extractive features for the machine learning model so in this case What we care about more is the spectral content of the hive or the frequencies. So we're using a transform instead of the raw audio signals, we're transforming into a time frequency domain. And that representation is called a spectrogram. And that's what we're feeding into our, what's called a convolutional neural network. This is an image-based processing of these two-dimensional spectrograms. You're converting the audio into an image and then doing image processing. Yes. So what a convolutional neural network does is it passes all these filters across your image and it's going to automatically detect the features, which in this case was the spectral content of whether or not there's a a queen. How much sampling do you have to do? Does the audio change much? Yeah. Our data set in this case, you can play around with how long your segments are. In this case, I'm trying to remember, I think we did five second segments and we have 2000 samples per class. And so when I say sample, that's one of these images of a spectrogram representing five seconds. And so this is a pretty good data set by deep learning standards, but something that will definitely improve the accuracy is expanding the the data set. Look like setting up like a long hive network that you might have lots of hives reporting into it. It's like air quality sensor networks and things like that. Yeah, we are really excited about the open source aspect of this. And we think that's something that could differentiate this platform from other platforms. We found that the beekeeping community is pretty active and they're pretty excited about working together and contributing. And that kind of ties into what Tony was doing with the database side and the web application aspects of the project. Evan was definitely more on the machine learning side and working with the Raspberry Pi, TensorFlow Lite and all that. But once we got all that data in, I was doing more of the representation and some of the analysis on the data and bringing that into a database and getting some sort of visual representation. I think in the future, our hope would be to get more of a polished product that someone who owns or has set up some sort of long hive system 
for their bees and for their hives, they would have a website that they can check in on and just go and at the click of a button, they can see how their hives are doing. They can see how if from the machine learning algorithm, whether they have a queen or not, if bees are about to swarm and that way they can get a good indicator if there's some sort of emergency where they need to go take care of something. What would be the vision of a network of these hives in the sense that they, they, there's almost dynamic machine learning that could happen? You hit on it right there, the dynamic machine learning. So as the network expands, our capabilities and the, the models themselves are only going to get more accurate. So right. you can imagine if with a network of a thousand beekeepers in geographically diverse areas and they are recording samples of their hive and saying, hey, this is my hive. Things have been acting weird lately. And they labeled the data set as a problematic health standpoint. And that feeds into our model and continues training so that now we can identify different problems and different modalities. Now, if you're a beekeeper and know nothing really about machine learning and maybe are willing to experiment and getting a cheap Raspberry Pi and some of the equipment together, what does it look like for the, the non-technical person that's just applying this technology, wants to put it in a hive? I can speak a little bit to the non-technical person as I don't have much formal uh, training. Right. Evan handled some of the AI and then Tony did a little bit of the coding for what's based on Arduino and SDM board. And uh, as far as with those two things, it, the assembly wasn't difficult. It just took a little bit of soldering and uh, installing the sensors. If this, we posted this out there, there and it's somewhat open source, someone that's not too technical would, is able to assemble this and actually get a working product out of see the article in make magazine for build it yourself instructions you had a usb power supply on it so it ran for about three days but you think you can reduce the power consumption and extend its life and that's one of the main things we want to work towards with a finished product is some specialized hardware that they use more power efficiently and specialized mm -hmm. batteries that can be charged by a solar panel or replaced yeah. uh, pretty easily let me ask you something about how did you come up with this problem? A lot of it came out of the frustration of seeing my farmer friends' bees kind of swarm and lose all the progress that they've made over the summer as he's working on his vegetable farm and just not having time to check up on on his farm and, and go in there and really do a thorough search of, okay, are there swarm cells? Is there a queen there? So if he had an app or somewhere to just check to make sure that his hives are doing well or a push notification that, hey, uh, hive three is missing a queen and it's been missing a queen for five days, then that would really solve a major right. problem. Well, what, what could the beekeeper do in that instance? Yeah, there's a lot of different options. If a hive is missing a queen and it's a smaller hive, then you can take those bees and then you can divide them up and, and put them into a different hive and get rid of that hive. Or say the weight of a hive is falling, then you want to get in there and look, okay, what do I need to feed this hive if it's getting close to winter or uh, something along those lines? So there's many different tactics that a beekeeper yeah. can take if they have the right info. It's not only that you have to visually inspect the hive, uh, but you're disturbing the hive when you do that. Exactly. So having sensors to do that. Presumably some of those sensors like weight could be used to tell how much honey you're uh, producing and how when to add a new super. Yep. 
Exactly. Yeah. You hit it right on the head that adding a new super is huge. Just and seeing your honey flow throughout the year is kind of yeah. a guess and disturbing yeah. the hive really. But to back to my question though, how did you, if you were the one kind of seeing the problem, it's always interesting to me how sometimes the non-technical person finds the problem and then finds people that can help solve it. Yeah. I have a little bit machine learning. I took one or two classes, but Evan's the real expert there. So I pitched the idea to him and Tony as well. And Tony definitely had the front end stuff locked down. So we just brought it all together and made a great team. I would say that also with respect to what the Helium network is trying to do and what the LoRaWAN protocol enables, it's a perfect use case for it where we have to span these vast distances, but it's not necessarily high data rates. Was this project useful to you at Carnegie Mellon in any way? Were you able to say, hey, I'm doing this for school? That's actually interesting. So I work in additive manufacturing, so 3D printing of metals. And one of the big growing aspects of the field is process monitoring. So what kind of sensors can you stick in your machine and tell not whether or not there's a queen, but whether or not you have defective processing conditions. That's interesting. You know, it's how, in a sense, making machines self-aware so they can self-correct. That's the ultimate goal. And it's interesting. We actually put a little Raspberry Pi in our printer and you can use, interestingly, pretty similar processing pipelines. So listening to it? Yeah, I, you're getting I, me excited I about it. I've seen some people talk about putting a camera on it and you could see the spaghetti filament, but... That's true. You probably can detect patterns. So my process is in, it's called laser powder bed fusion. So it's melting metal powder. So imaging is definitely a rich data source, but if you have a high speed camera and you run it for a couple seconds at 6,400 frames per second, that's 16 gigabytes of data. So the dream is to have a low data rate microphone just mounted in your uh, machine and be able to actually get really important outputs and interventions from that. Antonio, did this have uh, any relevance to what you were doing in school or give you a chance to apply what you were learning in school? Not not directly. I'm finishing up my senior year. I was considering continuing it for a senior project, uh, like a senior capstone project, but I didn't want to do that alone without Nathan and Evan, obviously. So no, not directly, but I'm sure it will. We'll continue it in the future and keep it growing, create like a more polished product outside of school and such. Yeah. Bees are such an interesting animal. There's a lot of people who study them. A lot of great books have been written about them just because of their social nature. And one of the things when I read your proposal, I was thinking of almost what can we learn about beehives that sort of, we might apply to humans. Like, mm-hmm. what what do happy humans sound like? You know, <laughs> how would you get a large group of people? The, the obvious answers are like football stadiums and things like that, where you hear cheers and things going on in, in orchestrated ways. But have you thought about any ways that this kind of, this model might apply to other animals, even humans? That's actually interesting you say that. So I, after publishing the project, I got contacted by somebody who's working in the poultry industry. 
And what they're trying to detect is respiratory illness in birds, because if you have an avian flu outbreak in your hen house, it spreads like wildfire. So early detection is very critical. And and again, audio is a really natural source um, for hearing actually chickens coughing. And so that was a natural extension of these similar skills with a different medium. During COVID-19, we can also think about humans coughing and (laughs) sneezing and detecting that in a a public space. That's interesting. Are you done with your project? Are you going to keep it going? We hope to have a more polished product by the spring. Yeah, just like I said, work on some of those hardware issues and optimize some of the hardware for better battery life and other sensors for sure. I hope you can also expand the network of people using it and see what you learn there. But just in the context of bees, if the queen being present or absent was the first phase, what does the second phase look like? Evan, we were talking a little bit about image detection, bees flying in and out of the hive. That's definitely something. Yeah, with these murder hornet outbreaks, it starts us thinking about predators and and detecting other types of problems like rival hives stealing honey i won't act like i know too much about the bee community but there's some interesting literature about just using this acoustic data for a variety of different things is there anything else you'd like to add about it dale we definitely want to thank you for what you've done for the the maker community and listening to your your podcasts from the previous podcast about micro credentials that's something that we're big fans of. Okay. When I read your project and I kept thinking, if we had like a way to represent real world projects, if we had an experimental farm and on the farm we had <laughs> beehives and these are mm-hmm. their data sets are probably what Antonio is working on, the visualization of it. But behind that is a real hive located somewhere. And I think what is interesting about your project, especially in the maker community, is like this is a project that you could follow these instructions and apply anywhere in the world. And the, its value actually comes from that application in lots of places, not just having one place or two places, but the fact that you could do it in India or Belgium or Indonesia. The ability to connect all those hives together and learn about what's going on in real time would be pretty fascinating. But students could come in and say, I'm, I like bees. I want to build one of these. And I could learn machine learning. I can do a lot of things. Sometimes for people understanding what advanced computing frameworks are, are about, they don't understand how to apply them. They don't understand what they do. But just as in our conversation, if you're starting with bees and you're thinking you're doing audio diagnostics on some activity, you could apply that basic model to lots of other things that generate sound, right? And just to hit on what you're talking about with regards to education, we're all coming out of college. And I think we would all agree that learned more and have more transferable (laughs) skills from working on these sort of extra side projects and building a portfolio of skills. And another wrinkle to that is the micro-credentials. Again, you, you really have very different technologies that you're integrating here. How the information kind of flows from the sensors to the Pi and then to the STM board and then through the Helium network and then through the front end that it's crazy, the, the flow of the data. Yeah. It was kind of cool. So many different frameworks. Thank you guys for spending your time with me 